podcast episode from Oncology Data Advisor was recorded live at the 2023 American Society of Hematology annual meeting in San Diego. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit oncdata.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on social media for more exclusive content and interviews from the meeting. So welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. I'm Kara Smith, and today we're here at the ASH annual meeting, and I'm joined by Dr. Andrew Hansel. Thanks so much for coming on the program today. We'd like to start off by introducing yourself and uh, telling us a little bit about the work that you do. Sure. So I'm a medical oncologist. I see patients with acute leukemia and other hematologic malignancies, um, but about 80% of my time is spent doing health services research and medical ethics research. Great. So now you're presenting here your research on the National Survey of Oncologists' Perspectives on Ethical Implications of Artificial Intelligence in Cancer Care. Um, so for background, what are some of the current FDA-approved uses of AI in hematology oncology? So there are already quite a bit. Um, the FDA has approved over 500 different um, AI tools through their device pathway. Um, not all of those are for hematology and oncology, um, but the majority of them are in radiology and pathology, each of which have you know, major implications for oncology and that a lot of them are used for oncology diagnostics. So either looking at CT scans, doing uh, radiation oncology mapping, um, and then also doing histopathological diagnosis. Um, there are more um, clinical, you know, decision-making, risk prediction, those kind of algorithms as well, and then also some that are coming more either direct to patient um, or kind of patient-facing AI, um, either, you know, with the inclusion of clinicians in them um, through things like, you know, chatbots or avatars or those kind of things as well. And so it has been more on the diagnostic side of things, but it's coming into the therapeutic and also the patient-facing side of things um, as we speak. That's very exciting. Um, so now one of the biggest conversations right now um, has to do with the ethical concerns around AI. Um, so what are these concerns uh, specifically in cancer care? Yeah, so a lot of the concerns for AI in general are applicable to cancer care. I don't think there are any that aren't, and I think that there aren't too many things that are idiosyncratic for cancer care um, amongst those different AI concerns. And there are largely things over our ability to explain what the AI is doing, the decisions that it's making, when it might be going wrong, um, as well as other kind of biases that might emerge over time, even after something's approved. Because um, where you, if you have, let's say, a drug or device, that's usually like a static molecule or it's a radiation machine or something that stays the same the whole time but the AI the purpose of the AI is that it changes and so is the AI that is even proved to be not let's say have its biases mitigated at this point might change in the future depending on what populations it's applied to and those kind of things um, and then you have other issues as well related to is this getting in the way of physicians and patients having a good therapeutic relationship you know kind of are, are we kind of shifting um, our responsibilities clinicians onto the AI rather than making sure that we're you know taking care of the patient in front of us right. yeah definitely a lot of you know questions to address around there um, so speaking about uh, the survey that you designed um, how did you and your team go about about, um, you know, designing it and uh, administering it to oncologists. Yeah, so there are a number of general healthcare AI um, frameworks about the different ethical issues, some of which we just touched on, as well as kind of different processes um, that should be undertaken when you're kind of designing, implementing AI. Um, so we published one of the Journal of uh, Clinical Oncology last year, kind of about a, a process framework to make sure that AI is ethically implemented. And so there's both kind of the different subject and content areas and then actually how you apply them. Um, and so what we did was we kind of took 
those backgrounds as kind of the basis for our survey because a lot of that kind of normative work had already been done. Um, and then we kind of constructed a survey alongside our um, study team members, which included health services research and survey experts, as well as practicing oncologists and then AI experts in our group as well. And um, after kind of coming up with that draft survey, we then kind of took it to a number of oncologists to do some cognitive testing, which is basically where you work through the survey with them and kind of make sure that the questions that you asked are actually getting at the issues that that you wanted to understand as well as identify if things are you know confusing making sure they're worded right the, the responses that they can choose from are appropriate and those kind of things and then after that you have a survey great um, so what uh, results did the survey reveal yeah so I think um, the two I'd say major things were optimism as well as conflict um, I'd say those were the categories um, the optimism was that of the prior physician surveys generally that have been done on artificial intelligence and healthcare, um, there had been more optimism from the side of patients and a lot of skepticism from the side of physicians. So essentially, um, from the sort of times that those surveys were done in you know the mid 2010s to 2020, um, I think people were less familiar on like the global scale with what AI was doing and what it could do. Um, whereas now, I think that people are understanding the specific applications of it for their you know work as a clinician or as a patient for how it might affect their cancer journey. Um, that from that standpoint. Um, people are becoming more optimistic because they can see that it can take away some, potentially some of the um, less uh, interesting portions of their job, like administrative burden and those kind of things. Um, and so that was the optimism part in terms of physicians feeling like it, it could improve different aspects of cancer care, both in terms of like you know documentation, but also in terms of actually helping them appropriately diagnose and treat patients. Um, and then beyond that, um, there were also some interesting conflicts in that I think despite the optimism, people aren't very well trained right now about you know what AI models are, how to assess them as a practicing clinician, how to understand when they're appropriate, when they might make mistakes, how to identify when they might make the mistakes. And so we saw some conflicts in terms of um, when physicians were saying, all right, um, you know, this AI is going to be used, is it my responsibility or am I liable when it goes wrong? Um, is that the responsibility of the company? Those kind of things. And so we saw that there was a lot of kind of deference of that responsibility to the AI developers rather than themselves as oncologists. Um, we also saw other signs of conflict between kind of acceptance of that responsibility and that they thought it, they wanted and uh, the vast majority of people said that it was, you know, the oncologist's responsibility to protect their patients from bias. But very few of them, less than a third, thought that they could actually adequately assess the bias of a tool when they were presented with one. And so there's conflict and kind of a big knowledge gap there. Um, and then beyond that, it's also kind of issues in terms of conflicts between their um, uh, deference to what the AI kind of recommends and what they would have recommended and differences that come in and there and what happens in those instances. So the vast majority of um, practicing oncologists said that they want to be in, uh, be able to like uh, explain and, and understand the decisions that an AI tool is recommending, but that very few of them thought that patients needed to. At the same time, when we presented them with a scenario that patients, uh, or excuse me, that an AI would recommend a different regimen than the one they were initially going to recommend, the most common response was for the oncologist to kind of present both options of theirs and the AI to the patient and have the patient choose. And so how is the patient if you're not 
um, adequately able, able to inform them and make them understand what the decision is, you're then foisting the responsibility upon them. And so I think that just shows a lot of the uncomfortableness, the, the lack of familiarity with some of the actual ways that this might be used and kind of where physicians' responsibility continues to be. Definitely. It's also interesting. So thanks so much for explaining all the results. Um, were these results mainly consistent with what you expected to see, or were there any that stood out to you as particularly surprising? Um, I think the optimism was surprising just because it wasn't consistent with prior studies. Um, and I think the conflicts, while they weren't surprising, uh, or well, some of them weren't surprising, I would say the um, deference of responsibility to the AI rather than kind of saying that, you know, I'm still liable as a physician when, you know, an AI recommends something and I abide by it. I, th I was very surprised that, you know, while almost 90% thought it was the AI developer's responsibility, less than half thought it was their own responsibility as a clinician, um, which, you know, in an era where we think that we are still, you know, responsible for the patient in front of us, is this going to no longer be the case? And then if that's the case, or do we have any trust in medicine moving forward? Right. Yep. Um, so as the use of AI in cancer continues to develop, um, are there ways to continue addressing these ethical concerns or any, you know, suggestions you have around that? Yeah. So there's a lot of... Um, things coming out about AI governance, um, both in terms of like the White House's general AI Bill of Rights that came out recently, um, as well as the WHO, even within the last couple of weeks, put together kind of some consensus, not necessarily guidelines, but kind of consensus information about how ethical AI should be approached. Those were, neither of those were specific to um, healthcare, much less to cancer care, um, but at least for, you know, the processes and the areas that need to be assessed for ethical AI, um, there are very good frameworks out there. It's essentially what are the actual structures that are going to be um, kind of making that governance a reality. Um, and that is right now falling under the auspices of um, either IRBs locally or the FDA nationally. And from that standpoint, um, that covers, you know, kind of traditional research. And it usually covers traditional research and development, but not necessarily, as I mentioned before, kind of things after they're developed and then applied to different populations. That really isn't fully covered by the IRB, and it's only covered really at the broadest level by the FDA. So while the FDA might want the company who's developed the AI to say, hey, are your metrics still as good kind of across this huge broad population? And it might say yes in different pockets that that accuracy or that appropriateness might be vastly different. And so I, I think the gap right now is that there's no kind of local um, uh, committees or kind of IRB analogs for following things after, you know, things are approved and then applied within the hospital. Um, and there's also uh, almost no regulation for kind of the um, penumbral things like any of these um, uh, operational or, or non-research applications of AI that are popping up everywhere, like something that will write your notes and put them into the computer and all those things. Very few of those, I think, are, are going to fall under the auspices of traditional research. Um, but at the same time, they need to have, have just as much regulation. And right now, there's no um, uh, governance structures for how those are done. So I think that's a big opportunity for um, needing to create some kind of regulatory policy as well as some structures that, that um, uh, allow those things to be formed. Absolutely. Um, so my last question for you is, uh, do you have any future research plan to you know, continue investigating the burgeoning role of AI in cancer care? Yeah, yeah. So in a couple of ways. Um, the, I'd say that we're looking at a couple of those different applications that we asked about in terms of the survey. So some of those direct-to-patient AI things, 
um, in terms of being able to understand how appropriate like AI translated notes from kind of doctor speak to lay speak are both in terms of you know the clinician saying okay this this translation this AI based translation of my note into something that a patient can look up on their portal is that kind of have fidelity with what I had put in the note and then does the patient understand it kind of those different things um, and those different issues that can come up there so we're looking at you know some of those different applications and kind of the ethical ramifications there and then from the policy side a lot of what I just went through in terms of the IRB, the local regulation, um, there's different um, uh, research that we're doing in that area to kind of develop those kind of guidance and governance structures and then kind of put them in place and look at kind of how well they're implemented, how they can be followed, and kind of how that process can actually be borne out and then disseminated into um, different uh, ports of biomedical research. Great. It's all really fascinating. So it was so wonderful to hear about this research and we look forward to you know, hearing more in the future as the, the role of AI continues to develop. So thank you so much for coming by to talk about all this today. Thanks for having me.